Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the next episode of Knock Your Socks Off. I'm really excited to forge this relationship with my next guest over the last couple of years because I really believe in their mission that they're doing. It's very uh, far and few between where we see disruptors in the marketplace and throw that terminology around lightly. But uh, my next guest here, Patrick, and uh, the Modus VR team have done exactly that when it comes to the commercial integration business. We'll talk a little bit about how that gets into the control room environment too. But Patrick, thank you for coming on the show today. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Glad, glad to be here. Uh, this is really exciting times. It is. And uh, you guys you guys hit the stage. When I first saw what you guys were doing there with Modus in this world of, you know, kind of assisted design through the use of virtual uh, reality um, software and solutions, uh, it, it just, it, the, the, the possibilities just kind of blew out of, of what we can do with this. Um, talk to me a little bit about you know, the early days, right? How this came about, um, I know it kind of comes from the resi side into commercial. So talk a little bit about that journey. Give me the the history of Modus because I think it's a good baseline for the conversation. Yeah, yeah, we can definitely do the cliff notes. So, so like you said, we um, our roots are definitely in the residential integration side of things. Um, one of our founders, Ken Bruick, basically was was looking for solutions. Uh, he was working with a technology integrator uh, to build out a home theater in his in his new home. Um, and really the kind of foundation of Modus came from the, the idea that his integrator and he couldn't kind of me- uh, meet the same vision of what the project would look like in the end. Um, and so he had ideas in his mind about what he wanted the room to look like and how he wanted things to be put together. Um, and his integrator had other ideas. Um, and, and as most customers, uh, are, they had, uh, you know, the ideas were, were vastly different. Um, and of course the customer couldn't see the vision of the integrator. And so, the customer insisted on having their vision executed. Um, and in the end, Ken came to the realization that he should have listened to his integrator, but because there was no real way for the integrator to help him understand uh, some of the technical things and and really ultimately what the, the better solution would have been, um, they ended up doing the wrong thing. And so Ken and the, the integrator kind of worked together to build a piece of software. Uh, at the time, VR was just kind of an emerging um, technology. This was about uh, eight years ago, I guess. And so um, we took it to market in 2017 at Cedia, sort of, it was sort of a skunk works thing. Uh, we were tucked away in a little demo room with two theater chairs um, and we put people through it and let them see what we had in mind. And uh, that's kind of when it started. Yeah, that's awesome. And, I, and this is definitely one of those experiential technologies where where you need to experience it and see it to really understand the value of it. Um, the, the story that I'll tell about this when I first came across it was I was doing a project for American Airlines a hub control center down in Dallas. And the architect had a 3R modeling company build out the room for the client to basically envision what the final product would look like because the space had never been built before. Nobody had ever done that type of control room. And I think that to me is the easy part of the appeal, which is if you're dealing with a customer, whether that be in the residential side, commercial side, control room side, who's never done this space before, you can do what? with them? How, what, what does that process look like? What is What does that journey look like in terms of modeling this for them? Yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting. Um, we our, our company name is Modus VR and VR is a front and leading technology in what we do. But in a lot of cases, actually, the customers and the end users aren't using VR. Um, but we'll come back to that. Um, really, yeah. like you said, you know, uh, in a space that is very conceptual, um, a lot of times we talk about the technical stakeholders and these are going to be your consultants, your AV integrators, um, even sometimes AVIT teams within an enterprise organization and your non-technical stakeholders. And those are going to be C-suite, um, you know, managers, the people who will be 
executing and using the spaces. And a lot of times the delta between the two is so far that um, you need a tool to help better understand some things. And so we talk about things like sight lines, um, you know, just looking at placement of furniture, making sure the ADA requirements are all met. Um, there's so many things that can have a ripple effect. And one little change um, can sometimes have massive impacts on things that you don't necessarily consider. Um, and in a lot of cases, especially when it comes to AV technology, integrators are brought into projects so late um, that really, you know, everything's getting thrown together. And so so there's a lot of a lot of uh, room for error to happen. And sometimes those errors aren't caught until the very end when, you know, someone steps foot in that room for the first time and they realize, oh, we made a big mistake here. You know, we should have we should have reevaluated display sizes or, like I said, even just simple furniture placement. How many people can we cram into a single room? Um, and I think that goes to your point, Dan, you know, being able to see it um, when these rooms are really, you know, the first time someone's ever really conceived something like that. Yeah. So let's take that step back. Right. So current current workflow with an integrator consultant, you know, whoever that designing body is, is you have your discovery conversation with a client. You ask them a lot of questions about what they may want in a space. You bring that back to your engineering team as and or your CAD team, and they draw it up. They conceptualize it. They got floor plans. They have reflected ceiling plans, wall elevations, <clears throat> all those kinds of good stuff. They drop all their, their blocks onto it, and they send it back to the client. You may or may not review with them. You got edits, tweaks, you go back and forth. And then maybe, you know, four, six, eight weeks later, you come to grips, you have it a design, you go it. But maybe the client still is 100% sure what they bought because they only see it in 2D. They see it on paper with lines on the drawings and what have you. That's a very different workflow than when you're using a VR tool set to help craft and design. Kind of walk us through what that looks like. I mean, I, I think hopefully that's a little self-evident, but walk us through it and also talk about the time frame that you guys see out there in the real world. Yeah, and I think that's a big advantage and part of why we still consider VR a really, really important part of the puzzle. Um, so typically, the, the the workflow is not that much different, but the timeline is really consolidated. So what we seek to do with, with the VR tool is solve what sometimes can be weeks uh, of back and forth, maybe even months of back and forth between clients and integrators and consultants. Um, we refer to what we, we, we like to call live design sessions or live design workshops where the integrator is involved, but also bringing the client in and having them put their sort of identity on the project design. Um, it, one, it allows them to ask a lot of questions. Again, the non-technical stakeholders might have a different set of questions or a different set of expectations than, um, you know, the AV design engineer or the salesperson, you know, the account manager for that project. Um, and so typically what we would, we would do is host some sort of a, a live design session where um, essentially the, the technical stakeholders get together. We, we review the room as proof of concept put all the technology in place, um, let everybody sort of put the, you know, put the recipe together. Um, and then we do a presentation with the end user or the client. And that's really where the empowering part of everything comes together because now the client's involved. Um, they have the ability to see it, understand it. Um, I've been in meetings where, you know, you hear someone, and this is not necessarily a non-technical stakeholder, but the manager of the AVIT team for a, a pretty major banking or corporation the, the first time we presented the boardroom, they said, we, we, you know, this is the first time we really understand the complications of this room. And, and again, this is one of those classic situations where they're trying to put, you know, 30 people into a room that's really big enough for about 25. Um, and so being able to see it in real time and then make those changes in real time is really impactful. But again, it also helps consolidate because now we're not talking about 
sending a design set of revisions to engineering and having somebody draft up a new render and a back and forth process, it becomes more of a conversational, in, in many cases, one or two meeting process. Um, so really, we can shorten the timelines and the sales span uh, significantly. Yeah. And and one of the things I often say about the control room environment, which is the space that we're talking about primarily here, although I know you've got a lot of proof of performance in these other spaces, is is that uh, in the control room environment, uh, the end users are really focused on their operations. They don't have the time, the skill set or the experience with audiovisual technologies, displays, consoles and what have you. So this is a way to really also help bring it home, help them to conceptualize what that space is going to look like kind of minimize the level of questions or at least normalize that level of questions to the core set that you need. Um, and then, as you said, make changes on the fly. They can see the changes real time, whether you're making a console bigger, um, whether you're making a video wall bigger or adjusting the height of it for, you know, you you, you know you have tool sets in there for for line of sight from a seated operator position. Uh, I, I think the, the, the one really cool stuff I saw lately was you actually have some sit-stand capabilities in your consoles uh, which is also really, um, uh, you know, it's relevant, right? Just about every control room to sit staying consoles. That was a new, uh, a new partnership for you guys in terms of bringing some of these new furniture sets in, specifically around command and control. Um, so first of all, kudos um, and congratulations on that. Kind of walk me through, how does that collaboration go with, uh, with our friends at Winstead? Yeah, so, so Winstead was uh, one of the first control room partners that we brought on. Um, thank you, Dan, for introducing us, by the way. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, we worked with the team over there um, and they identified some of their more popular consoles. Um, and then really with any product that we do, um, this is maybe one of our, our, our little faults. We try to become lightweight product experts in any product that gets implemented into Modus, especially through partnerships. Um, and so we dive pretty deep into the technical specifications. Um, and then we tend to filter out the things that aren't necessarily impactful for the conversations that happen within Modus. Um, so we don't worry about how things are powered or infrastructure. We're focused 100% on operator experience. Um, and to your point, sit-stand became a very apparent thing that was, um, you know, really useful to show in that environment. And, and this is where I would argue that end users being in VR is a really, really important part of the puzzle for control rooms, um, to your point, because... Now you can sit and stand in front of that console and see what your ergonomics are going to look like, sight lines, um, even where your coffee cup might end up, right? And so being able to see that, again, before you have to roll in, I, I assume that these consoles are extremely heavy, um, so you're not rolling in a bunch of hardware and test fitting things, right? Being able to do it in a virtual environment um, is, I think it's a priceless thing, uh, but at the same time, it's really, really useful to be able to just check different configurations. Um, and yeah, the sit stand thing was was a it was a challenge programmatically speaking, um, but I think the end result turned out really good. And we're we're just on V one, so we're going to do some improvements going down the road as well. Yeah, no, it's excellent. I mean, when you get into a, a conference room environment, a boardroom environment, there's only so many ways you can set up the room itself: object wall, tables. Um, the tables may be different sizes, shapes, and what have you, but the room itself is generally going to have the same orientation. In a control room environment, depending upon the use case of the space. It could look entirely different. You may not even have a video wall that's an object wall. Instead, you've got consoles that are in a surround, right? Um, so, no, it's it's fascinating uh, to be able to use these tool sets to be able to talk through for customers. Um, what else? It, it, so, this is not a replacement for an engineering process, right? We're not replacing the 2D written drawings and stuff like that you're going to use to build out the field with as built. This is a sales tool. This is a, a you know a way to help uh, everybody conceptualize what that customer journey looks like 
what the end product's going to look like, or do I miss the mark on that? No, no, I think you're you're pretty spot on. Um, we we don't seek to replace traditional tools like AutoCAD or or you know what, whatever your your tool set would be for engineering. Um, I think you're you're absolutely right. Uh, it is a sales enablement tool. It also does have some of that DNA of design engineering um, in that we have what we refer to as design assistants to help with things like uh, you know appropriate screen size in a room, um, distance to viewers. Uh, even even pixel pitch indicators, uh, so we can we can actually run those calculations that you would typically do mathematically or maybe in a spreadsheet. Um, and again, showing them in real time in really really easy to understand visualizations for the end user. Right, keeping in mind that non technical stakeholder in this project, um, that's almost always the audience that we're trying to cater to. But at the same time, we have enough of that technical power as to really take it and and do good engineering, at least proof of concept engineering, to make sure that. You know, your screen size is the right size and the pixel pitch is the appropriate, you know, uh, dot pitch for for the distance to viewers. So I'm um, a little bit of both to answer that question. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, we're not talking about costing per se on this call, things like that. But this is also not the way VR was priced out before and in. I mean, I can remember back for that American Airlines project on, uh, that, I'm, that I was talking about earlier. I mean, that was, you know, that was order of magnitude $20,000 for that VR model and execution of that. Uh, this is something a integrators consultants can be used on a regular basis um, because it's part of their normal workflow once they get trained and what have you in it. Uh, and we're not talking about that per project at that kind of a scale by any stretch. You've really brought that into a more normalized uh, cost price point. Yeah, just as as a technology, VR, VR has come a long way, uh, even in the last few years. I mean, to your point, um, when, when we started in 2017 and, and released the product, you know, for for sale in 2018, um, the hardware budgets were significantly higher. I mean, you mentioned twenty thousand dollars. That's that's about the price that you were looking at for a couple computers and a couple good VR headsets. Uh, now today, with products like the Meta Quest that cost, you know, you can go pick one up for three hundred bucks retail right now. Um, it's it's not a bad time to get into this technology. Um, and and you know, we we sort of have been riding this wave of, of VR emerging. Um, but I, I you know, we like to say we were also doing it before it was cool. We're kind of the VR hipsters of the world. No, hey, listen, anytime you're disrupting a, a particular segment or, or sector and stuff like that, first one's in, uh, A, your your price point to entry is going to be a little higher. Um, and, and you know, you definitely got to continue to innovate, what have you, to stay ahead of that curve and, and learn from your your lessons. What are, what, are the, what are some of those lessons that you've learned along that journey, right, from the, the first ones into the market uh, to where you are now in terms of maturing the offering, the company, um, the the pitch? Uh, talk to us about, you know, that, that part of it, because I think, from startup to where you guys are now, from market disruptor to where you are now, becoming a little more normalized, um, it is is really interesting. Whether it's in your field or somebody else's, so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we. I mean, lessons learned. We we've we've learned quite a few, um, and a big one, and something we mentioned earlier. Um, we have actually sort of removed the end user from the VR conversation a little bit. So a lot of what we focus on now is a technology that we built, and we just released this in February of 2023 called Presenter Mode, um, and the idea being that. A lot of these meetings are not happening in person. And so when we first launched Modus in 2017, 2018, it was a in-office, in-showroom kind of experience. Uh, your client had to come in. They had to put on a headset. You had to teach them how to work the controllers. Um, you had to be in a separate isolated spaces even because the tracking technology wouldn't do two headsets in the same room. Um, so it was very removed and, and it, it felt like almost a barrier to you know the, the, the typical sales process. Um, today, you know, fast forward five years, 
um, we've found that, and this part of this was fueled by, you know, the events of the pandemic and everybody remote working and hybrid working, but we found that being able to host a design session on a call like Teams or Zoom um, has almost better impact than putting on a VR headset for many users. Um, so you can just jump on a Teams call, talk through the project, everything is presented smoothly in a, in a screen capture, essentially. And we've really made that technology really accessible. So you don't need any third-party software. You just launch Teams, launch Modus, and present. Um, and that's really been a big part of, of the story for us to the point where We've gone from being a software as a uh, uh, subscription software um, option to actually having a services division internally and, and hosting this for even enterprise customers. Um, so yeah, the evolution has been uh, rapid. Uh, the last two, three years have really changed our, our approach quite a bit. Um, but I think for the betterment of you know the end users, especially you know making the technology really, really widely accessible. Yeah. So put that into my terms is when I was on the integrator side and we were looking to deploy Modus as a standard within our sales organizations, you needed to designate one or two people to be that subject matter expert, not from a Modus software perspective, but just from a VR headset and 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 controls perspective. Uh, and if and if your sales organization is as old as I am, that's not going to happen very easily. So uh, totally get that in respect. That I think it's an awesome little pivot. Uh, to to recognize the the barrier to entry, uh, some of the struggles and challenges, and be able to address that uh, through services to the team. So kudos, because that's th those are the hard lessons to learn uh, and the pivots that are required to continue to be successful. Um, so again, I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing. Whether you know whether it's uh, uh, you know Modus specifically, VR tool sets uh, in general, the sales enablement tool around virtual reality and the design process, I think, is really critical. Uh, for everybody that's out there, um, but big fans of specifically what you guys are doing with those uh, with those modules in there from people like Winstead and what have you. Um, we wouldn't be having this conversation probably this early if it wasn't for that partnership um, that really allows you to step foot in that control room, design it from a black box, you know, open room uh, to a finished product that has the right consoles, the right display wall in there. Uh, I think you talk a little bit about tier seating when you need to based upon sight lines, which is not a normal conversation when you're dealing in two dimensions um, and you know things along those lines. Talk about where people can see this, right? So because I, I, I think aside from the online virtual demos, which is how you actually sell the tool set, um, seeing this in person when you can actually put on the goggles still has a lot of value. Uh, so where are you guys going to be next out in the uh, the pro AV market specifically? Yeah, the the next uh, the next big event for us will be at the the CI Expo within Cedia uh, in Denver at the beginning of September. Um, we'll be exhibiting uh, co exhibiting with Salamander Designs, another furniture manufacturer that we partner with, um, and so we'll have live demos there. Um, we'll also be sort of secretly hiding out in the D Tools uh, booth. We've got a new partnership sort of spurring with them. Um, and then, and then from there on, uh, we, we do a lot of regional events as well. So a lot of integrators do, uh, you know, their own little shows and there's definitely a presence of modus in those, uh, but yeah, CD is the next big one at the beginning of September. So we're looking forward to that. Excellent. Then I'll make a shameless plug too, that I'll be uh, talking a little bit about VR design tools as part of our, uh, best practices in control room design, implementation and services workshop that I'll be doing with Sean Brady from Winstead. Um, so we mentioned them a couple of times, but they're not sponsored the show. So this is just saying because they do good products, they do, do good work. Um, Patrick, any final words you want to give to the community relative to VR uh, as part of a design and sales enablement tool for sure? 
Um, I mean, if this is something you're interested in, definitely reach out to us. Uh, just modusvr.com is the website. Uh, we've got a link right there for jumping on and getting a demo. Uh, it, it'll be probably the, the most useful 45-minute call you could do in the week. Um, we cover a lot of ground, um, but it really gives you a good feel for what the tool is capable of. Um, and, and the demos are actually really focused on the idea that you should ask questions. So um, yeah, definitely look us up. And if there's any questions out there, feel free to shoot us an email. Perfect. So Patrick, again, thank you so much. Uh, big believer in what you guys are doing. Um, and uh, so, so proud and so happy to have you on the show. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. And stay tuned for the next episode of Knock Your Socks Off, where we'll bring on some other disruptive technologies in the command and control space. Thank you and have a great day. 